Blog Talk Radio. Separate the great 
Radio and Ultimate Sports Talk.com. Such a fitting video today to have uh, on this day. Um, we're having today Seattle Logistics coach Scott McCarran can be on here alongside Holly Custis as well. So, Holly, uh, how are you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Great. Just thought it was a fitting video given the fact that the off season. Uh, Majestics are obviously in training mode, tryout mode. Probably a lot of people wanted to try out for football. Pretty inspirational, you know, to try to let them understand that, you know, just go for it. Do what you got to do. Go through it. Um, and we have Troy Wilson back. So, Troy, welcome back. Um, missed you already. So, uh, and congratulations, buddy, for uh, your promotion as well. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, try to put in enough hard work in all different facets of life. And it's nice to see everything, you know, start to see the fruits of your labor. So definitely appreciate it, man. Hey, I learned from the best, the hard work, hardest working guy in the business from you, Oscar. You know, as much work as you put in is promoting, you know, the, the, the no joke football and women's football. Man, I got to learn from the best, brother. Thank you very much for that. Um, but, you know, uh, this is, uh, Holly, this is kind of like uh, a new wave, if you want to put it on here, a new wave, it, pretty, pretty exciting. Uh, we've talked to Adessa last, uh, uh, two weeks ago, and then we've talked about, you know, the growth of the sport, where we're at. Um, we've also come in, you know, into the transition of what's happening into the sport, and now we have the off season in the U.S., um, and then today, of all days, big news, more teams announced that are going to be in the WFA. So it just seems like the WFA is the league to be in. If you took the news this morning, um, I got the news from Burmy this morning, and then obviously off my feed from everybody that I network with, uh, a lot of teams going to the WFA. Is that, does this shock you, or is it just it's something that they have to gravitate to now? Um, no, it, it doesn't shock me. Um, you know, of the leagues that we have currently, uh, the WFA has seemed to have the most, what's the word I want to use, uh, desire to push the, the sport forward. Um, if you even just go and look at their website, like they've changed, they've updated their website. Um, you know, they're really putting in a lot of effort to try to push the uh, sport forward. Um, other leagues are doing it as well. Uh, as well. But it seems to be uh, the WFA is kind of leading that group, and on top of it, I think competition wins out, uh, you know, across the board, and people want to go where it's competitive. And a lot of the competitive teams are in the league, so I think that's also drawing teams uh, to move over back to the WFA as well. Yeah, it just seems I ideal at this point. I I don't know. I get the feeling right now. Um, you know, we don't want to, you know, mock one league over the other, but it just seems to me that the transition, we talked to Callie Bronson last week. We talked about the transition. We talked to Michael Berming last week. 
transition of the fact that um, the visibility, the uh, you know, the WFA in terms of like let's say the Eastern Conference, not necessarily the whole as a league, but the Eastern Conference okay. now has really a lot of um, the teams that are staple teams, the DCs, the Pittsburghs, the Renegades, the Force, uh, and then all of a sudden you add uh, the Carolina Phoenix uh, to the mix now, and you add the the Baltimore Nighthawks to the mix. So it's it's I mean to me it's like it's it's now coming becoming very clear that this is probably the the be- the better league if you want to put it that way. In my tenure that I've covered women's football, I think we're getting to that level now where now we can distinguish one from the other. Not to say the developmental is not going to be an issue, but you know if, if we put it in context of like Division One, Division Two, and Division Three as an example, uh, you know are we starting to see the WFA now become the Division One? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I, I mean, if you look at the history of women's football, it kind of mirrors uh, men's football in that there's several different leagues for multiple years, and then finally, uh, you know, you had uh, the AFC and NFC get back together to, you know, um, the, the NFL, and I think we're headed towards that direction, um, and that's what really is best for the sport. And I think, again, like they say, the the phrase money talks, I think competition talks. When you're talking about female athletes, they want to be where the better teams are. And I can tell that the the sport is growing just from the simple fact that we had our first tryout a couple weeks ago, and we had, I think, 55 people there, which is the biggest tryout I've ever seen in my career so far. (laughs) And um, so, and there was a lot of excitement and then I've noticed over the years the type of players that uh, we're attracting as a sport has changed. It used to be the first year that I played, if you were any kind of athlete at all, like you, you were head and shoulders above everybody else. And now we're attracting a different kind of athlete, people who have played college sports, people who have played, you know, even Olympic-level sports and understand what it takes to be an athlete uh, on this type of level. And that group is coming in and pushing the sport to a, a whole nother threshold and it will continue to get better because as the visibility gets better more and more people are aware of the sport and then it will just make it more competitive and push it where we want to go yeah and i mean in seattle for for the most part you know the the northwest swing on top of everything has done well in terms of comp- being competition in terms of the division itself not you know right. you know i i use the east coast as a, as a you know as a staple in terms of, you know, maybe promoting it to a bigger a bigger scale for television and keeping it contained. But what I'm saying is, in the aspect of the West Coast, your area up there has been able to put together very good rivalries. You know I mean? Obviously, Portland last week, the right. story of the year, I mean, of, of last year, um, you know, the shockwave combining and, and putting together more of a unit, a solid unit, that really elevates the, the level of play. So I guess this offseason is really going to be um, we thought last year was exciting. I think this year is going to be so much more exciting in that aspect, especially with the tier system coming into play uh, in, in this year again. And we talked about, uh, Callie talked about how, you know, the exposure of the three tiers really benefits certain teams because, for example, like the St. Louis Slam, as she said, you know, it's so much better for marketing purposes when you go, hey, we're, we're three-time back-to-back champions or three-time national champions in Division Two. you know what I mean? Instead of saying right. uh, we play in a competitive league and we make the playoffs every year, it just doesn't go as well as 
we're champions year in, year out. So I think in that aspect, no, it, it really it helps the sport. It, it definitely helps. Um, and, and some of those teams are, you know, are uh, tier one two, and tier three. It also, I think it's kind of a, a funny thing because psychologically, when you know that you can compete, you know, because some of those teams just don't have the, the numbers really, the depth to compete at the level of like the, the Dallas's and, and the Boston's and the Chicago's and, and they just don't have the depth there. And, and so for them, they know, Oh my gosh, you know what? We can compete where we're at and they bring their level of play higher because they know they have something to fight for. They know they have something to win. And, and, and psychologically they're pushing harder, which actually makes them better than they would have been if they had just been in uh, one single tier and, and were in the playoffs. Now they can compete for something. And I think it makes everybody better. All right. Since we're talking about competing and doing things, uh, let's jump into the huddle here. Um, the No Joke Football Huddle sponsored by Zazzle.com. You can go to Zazzle.com for slash Gridiron Beauties and get your gear there, tees, hoodies, and gifts. And uh, just want to let everybody know we are still supporting the Australian Women's Outback Squad. So any chalk line gear that is purchased, we are donating the exact uh, cost, which is about $3. Um, they're got the full price. We don't make any money off of it. So uh, the shirt price of the cost uh, is going to go towards the Outback team. So uh, let's bring in uh, Seattle Majestics coach here, Scott McCarran, to join the uh, conversation here. Scott, welcome back. It's been a while. And uh, so I, I see you're at the uh, Washington game, so you're having a good time there. Uh, so how's it going? <laughs> it's going great, Oscar. Thanks for having me back on. And uh, hello to Holly. Long time no see. Uh, it has, yeah, it has. It feels like it anyway. And let's not forget Troy here also. Troy's here also. Oh, Troy, you were so quiet. I didn't even know you were on. So we'll see uh, Troy Wilson on here. Um, so um, Holly uh, and, and Scott, how are the tryouts, or Scott, primarily you, how are the tryouts now this year? Uh, we were talking about off season. We're talking about, you know, all the moves that the league has made, the transition with a three-tier system, uh, the news today breaking out that there's, you know, more than uh, a handful of teams obviously jumping ship, Carolina jumping ship, Baltimore jumping ship. Um, so, uh, I don't know, uh, to you, what uh, does this seem like it's, you know, it's running, it's going forward at this point? I mean, I, I would have to give credit, uh, not only I think to Lisa, but we have to give credit to probably every owner in the league because, if the interest is there for people to come back to the WFA, there's got to be something good going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll touch on the tryouts in just a minute, but um, I mean it's it's good to see that that uh, you know really want sport forward. Um, I, I don't know how much Lisa has to do with that, or if it's teams that are seeing it. And that's not to take anything away from her, but um, if, if teams are just seeing all the other upper echelon organizations join the WFA, trying to rally around one league and push the sport forward for women. Uh, or if she's, you know, she's actively going out and recruiting these teams and uh, incentivizing the teams to, to come over to the league. Either way, it's good to see that, that the competition is starting to consolidate into one league. 
and uh, and hopefully we can we can kind of put one brand on this thing and and move this thing forward. Um, from the tryout perspective, I heard you guys talking about it just a few minutes before I got on, and uh, I, I would say I'm so jazzed about how our tryouts were. Um, we've had more people at tryout this year than I've seen in my five years with the organization. Uh, the level of play that came out to the first tryout is unbelievable. Um, incredibly strong across the board from top to bottom. Some really good athletes, which is, is good to see, um, that are really going to push our organization forward. And, and quite honestly, uh, a lot of us have a bad taste in our mouth after last year, the way that last year ended. Um, some of that uh, had had to do with injuries. We had a lot of injuries that we that we faced last year, uh, but the 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 play on the field wasn't up to par um, for most of most of the season last year. And and I think there's there's been really kind of a rallying cry to uh, to get this organization back in the straight and narrow and bring in a lot more competition uh, at at spots this year uh, than there's ever been before. Scott, were you were you uh, happy? I mean, everybody I think was happy the fact that Portland stood out so good for the whole year. Not to take it away from you guys, but for the most part, um, you know, the Portland team just just a an awesome season for them. Yeah, I'm 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 really happy for them. Um, you know, yes, they're a rivalry, but we've always had a good relationship with that organization, and and we'll continue to have a good relationship with that organization. Uh, I, I love the fact that um, that we quite honestly got our butts kicked down in Portland. Um, it was a wake up call uh, for for our players last year, and um, you know when when they came back up and, and played us the last week of the season, um, you know we 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 challenged them, and it was good to see considering the position, the roster position that we were in. Most of the year last year, it was really good to see a lot of young players step up towards the end of the year and, and, and contribute to our organization. Uh, and there seems to have been an infusion of talent um, in Portland, not just from the Phillies uh, merging with them, but it seems like them merging has helped uh, their infusion of talent. And it's good to see. I love it. I love the competition. I absolutely love it. I love, I love the game. To be able to walk out of that field uh, and know that I'm I'm going to be challenged mentally, we're going to be challenged physically, we're going to be challenged mentally from the players on up is a great feeling. That's what we do this for. It's the competition. I love it. Yeah, um, and I was excited at the fact that the season went so well last year. It was a really good season. Um, you know, we got to see the rematch of Dallas uh, versus uh, D.C., which was a first, I think, in, in, since I've been covering it. And I think that says a lot about the sport in itself. Um, you know, the transition this year has been huge. I mean, just, just the add-on of teams, like today's news of the teams coming to the WFA, and then last, uh, the last uh, news that was with Carolina coming to the WFA as well as Baltimore coming to the Eastern Swing, that just made – you know, the Eastern Conference way more tougher than it was before. If it wasn't tough already, it's tougher, which in a sense is good for the sport because we had talked about uh, with Callie last week about how this could be a starting point given um, Sam Rappaport in, in, in the NFL. You got Jen working with the NFL. You got Katie in Atlanta. This, is, this could be a starting point, and Odessa's, you know, 
um, perspective has always been the case is, you know, uh, how does the, the league themselves get their house in order? Because the opportunity is already there, it, you know, and the, the sponsorship's not going to come unless you got real good competition. And more than likely it might have to be in a six to eight, in a six to eight team swing on the East coast where the travel isn't so far apart and it makes logistic sense. So I'm sort of exciting even on that aspect of just talking about it and, you know, and just thinking about how that could maybe at some point transpire. Yeah, I, I, I would say the the one downside that, that I still feel that we have as a, as a league is that, um, quite honestly, outside of Dallas, uh, Central Cal, and, I, and San Diego coming back, um, there haven't really been upper echelon West Coast teams uh, that can compete at those, you know, at those levels. And I know we've competed with, uh, San Diego in the past. I know. I know we've you know we've hung a one a, a win on a Central Cal down there before, but uh, but outside of that, um, there hasn't really been a ton of competition outside of the the three teams there, and I do think that that's one downside to the growth of the sport on the on the you know western side of the country. There needs to be more competition up and down the West Coast uh, to drive more awareness of the sport. And, uh, and more competition across across the country, and it, it won't be until that happens, um, you know, it, bef- before the the national awareness starts to grow, uh, you know, a, a, across the country. The East Coast has a stranglehold on that. Um, you know, that they, they've they've been good. They have a, a good network of teams back there that compete at the highest levels year in and year out, and it's always a slugfest. Um, but uh, and I'm talking about WFA teams, so forgive me for not including Utah in that conversation. But um, but there's really, you know, outside outside of the the three teams on the West Coast, there hasn't really been that upper echelon competition uh, that needs to take place. It's the same three teams in and out uh, of the championship game every year, and you know we have to start we have to start producing. Um, our division has to start producing uh, better results than what we have in the past. Now, uh, Troy, you got anything for Scott McCarron? Yeah, from a from a recruiting standpoint, and and having the new players come in, what's the mindset that you want to that you want to pass along to the new players coming in? Especially since last year, I mean, you know, you guys, um, you know, played pretty well last year, but you had a tough time with Portland, and I know that left a bad taste in your mouth. And uh, speaking with Holly pretty much every week, you know, we talk to her about that. And, again, she loves the competition as well, and we know that. But you guys got to be looking at Portland saying you want a little bit more people, more, more, you know, uh, you want a shot at them again. So what's kind of the mindset that you want to set for the new players coming in? Well, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a, a common phrase you'll hear up here um, from our professional team, and that's, that's competition. I want competition across the board on this roster. I want I want players that are going to come in here and work their butts off to earn a spot on this roster. And that's one of the reasons why why we changed um, our our verbiage of the tryout from training camp to a tryout. We we decided we made the decision this off season that we wanted to attract more high quality players. We wanted to uh, create a competitive um, uh, atmosphere uh, during tryouts and uh, and on our roster from a week-to-week basis. And so we made the decision that we're going to move it to a tryout, and we have the ability to cut players this year. 
if we, you know, if we don't uh, feel that they're that they're up to par um, to uh, to to be on, you know, kind of our first roster or or whatever you want to call it, uh, active roster. Uh, that's that's not to say that we're not going to keep players that want to be a part of it and learn the game and develop um, from an organizational perspective. Uh, we'll we'll have those players be a part of our practice squad, uh, but ultimately we wanted it to be more competitive and we wanted to send a message to um, you know not not just uh, new players but our veterans as well. You guys have to earn a spot on our roster, and uh, you know it, it's not being given to you. So. Work your butt off in the off season. Take care of your bodies. Um, get yourself ready and prepared for the season, and let's go. And, and speaking of, of development, um, how do you guys balance that? I mean, because you guys have you have a slew of veterans on your team also, and then you have the new ladies that are coming in, and they may not be they they may not have been acquainted to the game, but they're you know superior athletes. How do you balance? Where you you're going from a fundamental standpoint with some of your players, and then for the veterans who already know the game, you're you're kind of fine tuning those things. Do you depend on the players to do that? Is it the staff? Is it all encompassing? Like, what is your plan going forward with that? Well, I've made um, over the last two years, I've I've really tried to be uh, active in recruiting uh, more coaches for our staff. And uh, this year we'll have eight coaches on our staff, which is more than I can ever remember us as an organization ever having before. And so it gives us the ability um, to really have two coaches at a position, um, at a position group, and be able to to work with individuals uh, that, you know, that may need the development. It allows me to roam as a head coach and go to different spots and, you know, coach the coaches instead of, you know, me having to coach a position group. Um, and then the other thing that we do is, is, I mean, I, I take a lot of time, um, sitting and going through, uh, chalk talks and uh, breaking down film with players and watching film with players. And, uh, and really, I, I feel our organization does a really good job teaching the game to players and understanding that there's different ways that people learn the game. So it could be, you know, it could be on the field. It could be, you know, needing to see things visually on a on a whiteboard, or it may need, you know, they may need to see it visually on a TV screen. Uh, we may need to to write it out with it. There's there's a there's a funny thing that that the uh, that the players talk about. Um, if you know, if somebody wants to wants to chalk talk stuff, they'll say, "Well, go sugar pack it with coach," and uh, and I'll sit with you know a player or players. <laughs> at a coffee shop and I'll take out, you know, pink sugar packets and yellow sugar packets. And, uh, and I'll, I'll go through plays with them with sugar packets so that they, you know, that they can visually see the difference between offense and defense and like kind of how the movement of, of football goes on the field. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Uh, the last question I have for you, um, you alluded to earlier that, you know, you've seen some of the, you know, it seems to be a dominance of the East Coast and the WFA. Do you anticipate um, in the near future your team going out to play maybe a D.C. Or, um, or or a Boston or a Dallas team going out on the road or also having a home and away, you know, one year and one year you go there and then the next year uh, they come out to see you guys? Is that something that you see for going forward with your team? Yeah, I, I, it's been approached um, 
to us, but we've been approached by it uh, before and have approached other organizations. Um, the 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 issue becomes an expense, um, right? You know, so it's so it's how much money do we want to do we want to put aside? Or how much money do we want to commit to that? Um, it is a long travel. It has nothing to do with the competition, you know, or being fearful of competition. I, I would go play anyone, anywhere, anytime, any place. Um, and I know all of our players would as well, uh, but it's really a matter of expense. But absolutely, I, I I would foresee us, you know, taking one to two trips a year, you know, in the next. I'd say within the next five years, we'll we'll hopefully have, you know, big games scheduled annually. Um, a couple of big games scheduled annually that it may not be, you know, interdivision rivals. Um, you know, we, we want to see higher competition. Our players want to face that um, throughout the season uh, because it, it, it prepares them for what they're going to see in the playoffs. And quite honestly, this is, this is what they're out there to do is to take on the best competition they can. They, they don't want to run out there and, you know, and beat a team 55 to nothing. That's, that, that doesn't give them a good experience other than, yeah, hey, we squashed the team. But, but they want to they – they're competitors at their very nature, and that's, that's what they want to do. They want to compete with the best teams in the country. So uh, we're, we're very focused on, on giving our players uh, that in the near future and definitely for the long term. Yeah, that's the old adage, you know, steel, sharp, and steel. You know, so I, I'm yep. definitely with you on that one. Absolutely. All right, Scott, you got a, I know you had a, a limited time with us, so I don't know if you have to go at this point or not, but it's been it's been great to have you back. Um, before we go, uh, what's going on in uh, your two cents in the NFL right now with the Seahawks? And, you know, what's your sense here in the NFL picture? Uh, you know, it's everybody's going to look back at the Arizona game from this last weekend, but, I mean, quite honestly, outside of playing – you know, a couple of bad teams. They haven't really been consistent offensively yet this year. It feels like the organization goes through that, um, especially on the offensive line, year after year after year. And it takes about eight games before they, you know, they kind of find their groove. So, you know, a couple of injuries up front in this past game, and um, you know, who, who knows how that will impact them. But uh, I, I would, I would look to see that they're. You know their offense kind of gets going in the next couple of games, and, and uh, you know the Hawks they have a they have a tough schedule over the next several weeks. Um, but you know, and also not having Russell healthy all year, um, he just hasn't moved around as much as he has in the past. It hasn't he hasn't looked mobile. Um, but at the end of the day, the guy's such an accurate passer. Um, I, I don't I don't really think that that's a that that's a, a huge problem for them. It's just whether or not they can hold up with the offensive line um, and get their running game going. Defensively, those guys have been lights out. I mean, this this has been, I think, the best defensive uh, group um, since the year they won the Super Bowl. And uh, and and there's they make mistakes at time, but um, you know you can see the fiery competitiveness that they have, that they demand of each other, uh, which is is really the first time I've seen it in the last three years uh, where they go out onto the field and they expect to be the most dominant 
uh, group on the field at any given time. So it's it's, it's really good to see. I, I expect good things for them for the balance of the year. You know, uh, health, health obviously is one caveat to that, but um, I would expect them to, to be at the upper echelon part of the league by the end of the year. All right. Uh, so, Scott, before you go, I got a uh, partner in crime here. Uh, we got Doji Mello here just called in. So, how you doing, Doji? <laughs> I'm doing good. Can you hear me? Oh, we can hear you clearly. All right, right on. Well, uh, Scott, how are you? I'm good, Don. How you been? Um, you you need to call me either Doji or Rusty. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, there you go, Rusty. <laughs> All right, so I have a question for you about number 19. Is number 19 coming back? Uh, number 19, I, uh, I'll i answer it this way. Um, number 19 was at tryouts. Uh, however, um, she's got some, uh, some surgery that she has to have this offseason, and uh, depending upon how that – that goes the result of that um i think will depend on whether or not she's back uh full time or not but uh we're crossing our fingers that that we'll get uh number 19 back out on the field um obviously she's, a, she's an instrumental part uh of our organization and uh you know is a, is a big big weapon both offensively and defensively so yeah um, number about- 21 this is number 19 <laughs> yeah, I was, well, I was about to ask about you, Holly. Um, are you are you are you healthy? Are you coming back uh, this year healthy and strong and 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 more 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 importantly safe? Yes, um, I'm right on track. Um, I actually should be cleared in the next two weeks or so to start doing lateral stuff, and then I'm on track to be cleared to completely play with a brace in early January. Um, I've been working out and going to physical therapy and going to massage therapy six days a week at least. <laughs> um, I've also incorporated pool therapy. Like, it's a second job for me right now, really. Um, but I've come a really long way, and then I have a new physical therapist who specializes in getting athletes back, uh, you know, to competing. And uh, I gave her my surgery notes, which my ortho- orthopedic doctor it, <laughs> It, it's a book. It's like four pages long, and it's it's not double spaced. And she went through it and read it all, and is really uh, her mind's kind of blown at how far I am, you know, considering what they uh, what they had to go in and fix. And but I am right on track. And we had our first tryouts, and I wasn't actually planning on doing very much other than trying to do warm ups. And then I was actually able to do more than uh, I thought I could. And then I didn't have any, you know, soreness in the knee, just more soreness in my leg, like, because it was raining. It was really cold and wet and raining because we had Stormageddon storm come through. And um, so I got stiff naturally from being cold when we started to slow down halfway through. But other than that, I didn't have any problems. And so it's just a matter of building the leg back up, you know, the muscles around my knee so that it's even with my right leg so that I can – uh, play at 100%, but I'm right on track to do it. Well, I want to go on record as saying I think that it's amazing that you would come back this year, but if if I was in any way related to you, I I would beg you not to. <laughs> I would just <laughs> you, that injury you know, last my year was so scary. Doctor, <laughs> it, he, I, I am so lucky. The medical team that I've had 
because he's he's one of the best you know, knee trauma surgeons in in the area. And I told him the very first time I met him exactly, you know, what I do, what my goals are. And he, the medical team I have completely believes in me, so I believe in them. And so I've been going at it, you know, every day at a time. And um, the first diagnosis I had from him was way worse than it actually ended up being. And he, the last time I saw him, you know, I was like, am I on track? He just kind of laughed and he was like, you're a success story. Like he's, I think I'm kind of an example for him. He he called me his Super Bowl, so I will take that. <laughs> I, um, like I had two surgeons working on my knee at the same time for, for six hours, and they were incredible. And so I'm just very thankful that I had that support from them because uh, I think it would have been a lot harder if I didn't. Scott, what about yeah, some other players that, that were injured um, – do you have any other injured players coming back this year? And at quarterback, last year you had at least three players I know of that played quarterback. Have you decided, or is that even on the table yet for this year? Um, well, we're, I mean, we'll obviously uh, start out with every position. We'll, you know, we'll be competitive. Everybody will have a shot at it, um, you know, at, at being able to start for the organization. Uh, but, uh, you know, we're, we're very excited that um, – you know, Rachel Woods is progressing in her uh, ACL injury. Um, she had surgery this off season and is working her way to come back. And uh, she was at tryouts as well and, uh, you know, threw the ball well. Um, moved gingerly, obviously, because she's just starting to get back. But uh, I know she's been working hard to get that strengthened back up. Uh, you know, we had a, a, a couple other uh, uh, players. Vanessa Kasky got um, – er, uh, injured a little bit in one of the uh, one of the war player workouts, um, but thankfully nothing nothing too serious. And uh, you know she's she's working on her on her leg strength as well to get herself back. Um, outside of that, I mean I think we'll be relatively healthy uh, going into the year, um, which which is is nice to see considering all the really major injuries that we had uh, last year happen to us. Is uh, Portland is is Portland gonna punk you guys out again this year two times? <laughs> Come on, man! You know, you, you know you can't set me up like that. I'm not I'm not taking the bait on that. But uh, 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 as as I said as I said before, they're uh, you know they they were a really good challenge for us last year, especially considering that you know we had a lot of veterans that. Um, that took the year off last year. We had a lot of, uh, a lot of young players that were starting and, you know, it, it, it's no excuse. You know, it's our job to get them up to speed, but, you know, vet, uh, Portland had a really veteran laden uh, team last year and, uh, and they played like it. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it was good to see. I'm glad that we had the competition, but, you know, obviously I, 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 hate losing. Um, that was, I think those were the first two regular season losses I've had as head coach, uh, in Seattle. Um, and, uh, and I'll just say, I don't plan on having two more next year. Right on. Looks good. So, Scott, uh, are you are you leaving? I know you had an, uh, uh, something to do at this point. I appreciate you uh, making the limited time with us at this point. Um, 
And uh, the tryouts, as you're mentioning, obviously a success for uh, Majestics right now, early season. Uh, it's kind of different that you go tryouts in that aspect of it, but at the same time, with the bigger numbers, you do have to do that because then you have to weed everybody out. So it sort of makes sense instead of going straight to a training camp, you know, with some stable roster numbers. Now you got higher numbers, so that makes more sense. Uh, in its in a yeah. sense. Um, yeah. So and, I really and, appreciate uh, you making the time. Yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate it. All right, Scott, i uh, touch base with you in a little bit, uh, in a couple of weeks here, see how you're at when the finalized roster. And uh, I think all of us are going to be very excited about the Northwest Division uh, as we were last year, but even more so this year, especially if, you, as you're uh, alluding here, that you're obviously improving in terms of numbers. That's just going to make it very competitive in terms of, of a Portland-Seattle rematch or rivalry. Yeah, and hope, hopefully you guys will get a chance to see a little bit more broadcasted games uh, out of us next year. I mean, that's that's – that's something we've been working really hard at trying to uh, trying to make happen. So uh, hopefully more more people will get a chance to see uh, broadcasted uh, games next year. Yeah, it was really well done. Um, you can thank uh, uh, Mr. Russo as well at Everett, and then obviously Don here for doing a tremendous job in trying to broadcast some of the playoff games as well. So um, the fans really really appreciate that. Yep, absolutely love it. All right, Scott, I'll catch you in a bit, and enjoy your evening, um, and have a great time. We'll touch base on a different time. Um, you're always welcome to come in, as I said before, so always uh, exciting to have your insights as well. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks a lot, Oscar. Good to talk to you, Doji. Uh, and uh, Holly, I'll see you in a couple weeks at our second tryout. All right, sounds good. Troy, good to talk to you again. All right, Coach. Take it easy, boss. See you guys. All right. All right, Scott, take it easy. Enjoy it. All right. So, um, Rusty, are you sticking around or are you bailing? Are you talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you, Rusty. Oh, I'll, I'll hang out. Uh, okay. You're going to listen to it? Okay. Well, uh, Don, thanks for coming and uh, chatting with Scott. You're always welcome to the show as well. So, if you want to chime in, uh, we always have different topics. Uh, you're always welcome. Well, the, you know, when I saw that you had Scott on today, I I don't know why I didn't see Holly was on here, um, but uh, I was excited because, well, both Scott and Holly always have something important to say. So I, I thought that was really cool, and anytime you want me on, I'm happy to come on. I'm thinking about firing my show up uh, once a week here soon, so maybe, maybe we can do some work together. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I really, really enjoy it, actually, too, because it uh, kind of mixes it up on both ends. All right, Don, I'm going to go ahead and uh, put you on hold, and then we'll go through our, our own, end up on the show here. appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. Thanks. See you, man. Take care. Bye. All right. So that was uh, Don or Rusty, however you want to consider him. Uh, he's a great guy. See, I've known him for uh, a while now since he started covering the WFA as well. So it was great to have him come on and chime in. And um, it was also awesome, Holly, that you were the uh, number 19 or 21 that you could actually speak to his question. That was great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, once you play with somebody, it's like they're automatically part of your family. And so when she showed up, uh, I personally didn't know she was coming. 
and and it's kind of like seeing your long lost sister, and and so I was excited to see her. Um, but yeah, if, if she's able to come back, that adds a lot of speed. She's a, she's definitely a threat downfield, either direction. She has a lot of explosion, and it, it really helps to have her on the field. So I'm excited. Yeah, it's great. So um, Holly and um, Troy. Uh, we said we were going to st- uh, start this 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 show with college football, and we're not going to disappoint our our, our our listeners. So, Troy, uh, technically, we're having like a two week withdrawal because you know I can't dive into college football like you can. So uh, let's let's take us into a, uh, where we're at now, and uh, and we're looking at playoffs now, right? This is kind of like we're progressing further into getting to the playoffs. So. Um, give us a, a picture of where we're at right now, maybe top five or top ten. Well, yeah, right now is when teams are really starting to look at the playoff scenarios and um, and also uh, ESPN, where they just had a show tonight where they were talking about who's going to be in the top, you know, um, uh, right now who's looking at the playoffs going in. And uh, right now, of course, at the top of the heap, you got you're gonna have to go with Alabama. I mean, they just looked dominant this weekend against Texas A&M, uh, and and Texas A&M is a really really solid uh, football team. And you know, Alabama just ran through them like a hot knife through butter. I mean, they're just they're they're way too strong on defense. Um, as good as the SEC teams are, really no one can stand up to this team, and um, it looks like. Alabama's just on one of those runs. I mean, they're defending champions this year, and it looks like that they're going to, you know, possibly be in the playoffs again. Now, before we start crowning them the champions, they have a huge game coming up this weekend against LSU. Now, LSU is one of their biggest rivals, if not their biggest rival, and LSU has upset them in the past before, but Alabama has recently beaten um, LSU the past three games. So, but this is going to be a very tough game. Um, LSU is, is just now getting healthy. They had some tough times in the beginning of the year, and they're looking like, you know, they're, they're going to be they're going to be ready to play. And then at number two, you have the Michigan Wolverines. Now, Ohio State, with a huge loss in Happy Valley against Penn State this past weekend, it's a big upset game. Uh, they unranked. They had a tough time this year, but they managed to beat the Buckeyes. A lot of the, the offensive woes on the Buckeye side where they don't have many wide receivers, they don't really have a passing threat, they're really caught up with them this weekend. And Penn State just hung in there, and they got some special teams touchdowns, and, and they did some defensive plays that they really made happen. They dropped down in the rankings. That benefited Michigan. Michigan is now 7-0, and and they're the tops in their division. They look like they're on a tear also. Historically right now, they're on a historic run as far as defense. Now, everyone is really talking about Alabama's defense. But Michigan's defense ranked number one in the nation. They got Coach Dan Brown from uh, from Boston College last year, who also had, who coached that team to the number one defense, and he's translating that over to Michigan now. They're going into uh, East Lansing this weekend which is a huge revenge game. As most people who watch college football know, uh, Michigan had Michigan State on the ropes last year at Ann Arbor. A botched punt hold, and, you know, they Michigan State ran it back for a touchdown in the last second. That team has not forgotten that, and I'm pretty sure they will be chomping at the bit. They would love nothing more than to beat a down Michigan State team in East Lansing 
to do that. Now, you also have to worry about Clemson. Now, Clemson has a huge game this weekend. They're going into Florida State. Now, Florida State is really down this year, really down. A lot of people are surprised about that because they were ranked number two in the beginning of the season this year. And this is one of those games where you sit back and say, uh, Florida State, they're, they've come back a little bit. You know, they're they're starting to get their stuff together, but they are, are they on Clemson's level? But this is it, the, the consummate track game. Clemson right now is really looking ahead to being an ACC champion and then going on to the playoffs. And this is probably their last biggest hurdle. Now, Florida State has a chance to upset Clemson. Clemson has to be on the A game because they have the propensity to kind of, you know, shut it down a little bit and let teams uh, stay into it. So they're going to have to watch that. Then you have the Washington Huskies at number four. Now, they're playing a very game Utah team. Utah is ranked number 19, and they have to go in the, into Utah to play that game. Now, Now you have Browning, uh, the quarterback, who is now has vaulted himself into the Heisman candidacy. So we'll see, you know, is, is that going to happen? Now, you have so many storylines with this game. You have a lot of uh, former Washington players who transfer to Utah, and they will love nothing more to beat their old Washington Husky team. This is going to be for Pac-12 for Pac supremacy because right now those are the top two teams in the Pac-12, and it looks like after that, you know, there's not really much competition for either one of those teams. So whoever wins that game is pretty much in control. And then, of course, you have the Louisville Cardinal. They're running around with their Heisman Trophy candidate. He is right now, he's on a tear. I mean, there is no better quarterback in the league than this guy. I mean, he's Right now, they're comparing him. They've been comparing him to Michael. Not really much competition when it comes to the Heisman vote. Um, and so, you want to watch this team going forward. Now, they still have Houston to play uh, earlier. Um, excuse me, later on in the season. But it looks like that they're also going to be on the run. So, it looks like they're likely going to be the ACC champion if Clemson falters. So, unless Clemson falls at some point in the state, you know, um, then they may be on the outside looking at. Colleen, have you been uh, keeping tabs on college? Uh, I know on the West Coast, yeah. Pac-10, I know my, my, I, I, my, I Bruin, actually, uh, my Bruins are nothing nothing to talk about, but, you know, that's how it goes. I actually uh, prefer college over the NFL uh, just because I grew up, you know, being an Oregon Ducks fan. We didn't have an NFL team that was our team, and so I, I fell in love with college football early. And, uh, of course, uh, you said your your UCLA Bruins aren't doing well. At least at least you're competitive. My my team can't stop anybody. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but but uh, you know, like Troy said, I mean, we're getting to the point. I think the playoff committee is going to start their uh, their first rankings. I think in a week or two here. Um, I will tell you from seeing Washington in person. Um, I went down to to the Oregon Washington game. Their defense is really strong and disciplined. Um, uh, the type of player they have recruited to Washington is is uh, they play with an edge defensively, and they have the type of players that Oregon wants to get because we're switching from a, a three four to a four three, and our players are just not fitting that scheme very well. And um, uh, Browning, I've seen him improve. You know, he uh, he's a sophomore. Last year, he ha- it was obvious that he had talent last year, but now this year he, he seems to be putting it together with some ma- maturity on top of it. 
Um, the crazy thing about Browning is that I think he's going to continue to improve. So he, he's definitely in the Heisman race now, but you give him another year or so, he's even, he's going to be even better. Um, you know, uh, Alabama, nobody <laughs> – Alabama, you know, they control their own destiny. And they have the talent base that they are just wearing teams down. So teams might be competitive with them for a quarter or two, but then they just kick it up another gear. And they have that fourth or fifth gear that nobody else has, and that's what Oregon used to do, you know, three or four years ago. It would be a close game in the second quarter, and all of a sudden we put, you know, 30 points in the quarter, and it's just a blowout. That's what Alabama is doing. And you have uh, Lane Kiffin uh, as their offensive coordinator, it's scary because Alabama was already really good on defense, and all of a sudden you put uh, Kiffin, who I think is actually a better coordinator than uh, head coach, and he has a quarterback that he can work with and is multidimensional in what he can do. Now they have both sides of the ball going, and it's just absolutely scary. Uh, Michigan, I will say, you know, as a 49er fan, I miss Harbaugh. I really do. <laughs> I, I like Chip Kelly too. Who does it right he, now? I'm not, who does I'm it? Not, I'm not blaming. I'm not blaming Chip because it, it it would have been a disaster no matter who was coaching this year. But I I liked Jim Harbaugh because he's a, he's a guy who can come in and change the culture. If you remember before he got to Michigan, it was just awful. It was a hot mess. And then you know in a short amount of time he's turned that program around. And, um, you know, Clemson is a solid team, but I'm not quite sold on them yet. Uh, you know, uh, a team that is interesting to me is Nebraska. They're sitting at 7-0, but they haven't really been challenged yet. And they have a couple of games coming up here that if they can, you know, prove a point, they might be launching themselves into consideration. Um, as far as the Pac-12 is concerned, my – story of the year is Colorado. Just a year or two ago, they were winning zero games, one game, I think like three games. And, you know, having seen them this year when they played Oregon, it's a different team compared to last year. They're competitive. They believe in themselves. And it's kind of cool to watch because last year they, you could see them starting to turn the corner where they were putting up points, but they just they couldn't get over the hump. Now they believe in themselves. And honestly, I think, you know, for the Pac-12, it's Washington. And I, my my sleeper pick is Colorado. I think it's going to be Washington, Colorado in the Pac-12 title game. I think Utah's good, but they've had so many injuries. I don't know if that's probably going to eventually bite them. So uh, those are my picks for the Pac-12. And, uh it's been a weird season football-wise, I think. Um, I will say I hope that the Niners get the number one pick and we take uh, the Cardinal, you know, quarterback, uh, Lamar, right? That's his name? Yeah, Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Yes, I would like him, please. So if if I can have that for Christmas, I'd be happy. Is this a will of fortune? This is a will of fortune attitude right here. I'd like that for 100 <laughs> Yes, please. Yes, yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> well, the only thing about that is Lamar Jackson is a true sophomore, so you might have to wait one more year for that guy. I know, but we might actually be bad <laughs> another year. So by the time, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of what I was like getting at is it might be a couple years. 
Yeah, the, the way yeah, hey, Troy, Troy, uh, she's she's in that mode where she's gonna go recruit a year early. That's what she's saying. Right <laughs> yeah. <now. laughs> hey, but listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna fly rich- down there and and see if I can you know get on campus somehow. Hey, but I tell you what, if you guys do get the first pick this year, Leonard Fournette, the running back from LSU, is not a bad yeah. uh, first pick. He is he's an absolute beast. He's a he's a monster. He is an absolute monster. He's the best running back I've seen in college football in some time now. So I mean, just just the way that he ran through Mississippi, uh, that poor safety that he ran through. I mean, he just ran the guy over. I mean, the, the guy might still be on the field right now in Death Valley. So I mean, I, I think I think he still Fournette. might be buried. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Leonard Fournette, is, he is one tough dude, man. So if you guys get him, just look out. That's that's going to be a Pro Bowl running back. For years to come, he, if he stays healthy. He's he's awesome. I I I still really like Hyde, but um, if we could get them both, it'd be great. But honestly, we need help on defense. We we, uh, you know, Bowman, bless his heart, came back from his traumatic knee injury and then tore his Achilles heel. And we when he went out, I you know um, was watching the game, and when he went out, I was like, oh, we're we're doomed now because people don't realize how vital that position is in the middle of your defense and he anchored that run defense and now that he's gone we can't stop anybody we're dead last in the nfl and run defense now and so we need some help at linebacker bad um our defensive line you know is young and they have moments for their great and moments when they're just not so but yeah if we could get uh that'd be awesome i do like him a lot too the only wish, the only wishful thing here is to get cheaper seats at Levi's. That's the only wishful thinking right now. Oh, what? <laughs> I said the only wishful thing what here is to get cheaper seats at Levi right now, based on their play. Oh my gosh! Did you know? Um, I uh, realize it's a football show, but I heard today for the World Series that if you want a ticket in Cleveland for the World Series games, it's uh, five hundred. But if you want a ticket for the average, like the general admission ticket in in Chicago right now is like three grand for a standing room only yeah. ticket. Yeah, five <laughs> grand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's gone it's up. Crazy. It'll probably have gone up since I talked. Do you realize? <laughs> do you realize Wrigley Field is so tiny? It's like going into a small shoe house. That's how tiny Wrigley Field is. He's still playing there. You know what I mean? That's why That's why they're putting you, like, it's like me renting my apartment across the street and going, hey, this seat right here is going to cost you about five grand just to view it across. That's, that's how, well, like, they haven't changed, in other words. It's like 106 years since they've made to this point, and they haven't changed the house. They haven't remodeled. I mean, they've remodeled it, but you know what I mean? It's not like they've, they've done Soldier Field like two times already versus having done anything with Wrigley Field. So that's going to show you how old and vintage this place is. Yeah, I've been outside. I haven't been in it, though. And uh, so I can see, I mean, the outside is really, it's beautiful and historic, but I can see how if you haven't updated the inside and it's over 100 years old, you know, there might be some issues. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, but you know what? I, I have a friend of mine who, uh, I don't want to laugh, but I should laugh because I lost to him anyways. So my Dodgers just choked, as usual. Um, but anyways, um, they, they just, they're just so right now, it's just, just, this is the highest of the highest. I mean, he's like, uh, 87 years old. This is the first time he's had to experience a world series frenzy. 
So imagine that. Uh, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, and it's kind of like uh, surreal for him to even. I think some people are just sitting there and going, "Is this real?" I mean, they're like refreshing their computer. Are the Cubs really in the World Series? You know, that was the joke this week from him. I'm refreshing my computer to double check, make sure it's it's the Cubs in the World Series. <laughs> like, yes, the Cubs are in the World Series. Uh, I think he was just rubbing it's, it in because of the dog. Crazy. It's crazy too because uh, Cleveland actually has the second longest drought of a uh, uh, World Series title. And I have lots of family that uh, basically live right outside of Cleveland. And um, and so the big thing this week was they were really trying to push to have Charlie Sheen throughout the first pitch. Because if you see uh, the awesome. movie Major League, he's the yes. wild thing. And um, and uh, so I was talking with my uh, aunt and uncle uh, earlier this week. And, and uh, I was like, you guys should get Charlie Sheen on there. Like, yeah, we already were talking about it. And then I, I read something about that. Uh, Major League Baseball said no for some reason. I don't know why. I think it would be awesome. <laughs> Forget about yeah, the curveball. Give me so, uh, the only thing that's going to happen, in, the only thing that's going to happen in Cleveland is what did we say at the beginning? Remember Troy? Oh, what a year ago I said LeBron comes back and everything will change for Cleveland, right? So now here we go. Yeah. Here's the Cavaliers winning the NBA championship. Here's the Indians in the World Series. Don't hold your breath for the Here's Browns Paul. to be in that position. Yeah, Cleveland's not doing much. But uh, they might be on the right track. They drafted like 16 players, and they have them all on their roster. So uh, things may be looking up for them. It looks like it's on a five-year plan for Cleveland, but it is Cleveland. It's the Browns. Man, I, I don't I don't see it you know, panning out pretty well for them. You know, and the, the Browns have not played horribly this year. That's what I'm trying to point out. They have not played horribly like in past seasons. They're just getting edged. You know, they're they're playing three quarters and they're not playing four quarters. That's really what's boiled down to that team. They have players. You know, they got Pryor and they got, you know, some good talent for players, but they just they can't get over that fourth quarter. You know what I mean? They're losing it out. Um, yeah, it doesn't, I, I don't it doesn't see them winning an it. NFL. I don't want to see them winning a Super Bowl anytime soon. Yeah, it, do, it doesn't help that they played six quarterbacks this year either. I've never even heard of something like that in the NFL. Uh, you know what's crazy is uh, something that, um, you know, really plays a factor in sports is, is culture. And so uh, if you have a culture that is used to losing, it's almost psychological that they don't they – don't, even if they're talented enough, even if they're putting themselves in good situations – they find a new way to lose because that's what they feel like they should be doing, kind of like the Chargers were doing for a few weeks there, is inventing new ways to lose. And um, it's amazing how culture can shift, though. Like when you when you saw Harbaugh when he came to the 49ers, we went from 3-13 and 13 to 13-3 and three in one year with mostly the same players. Michigan flipped it around. So it can be done. It's just, it's you know, some of those programs – like you know, uh, Cleveland, the the uh, the Browns situation. I think they just need something to get them out of it, so that they can start believing in it again, and and then they'll be competitive. I think they just have been so <laughs> they've had so many things go wrong that you can't even make it up, really. So I kind of feel bad for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was a, I was I agree, a bit yeah. of a Browns fan. Uh, Cause I used to like the way that they played. I just, I liked everything about that team. They had 
Webster Slaughter, Reggie Langhorn, uh, Bernie Kozar. You had Lawyer Tillman. Um, you had Frank Minifield, Hanford Dixon on defense. Clay Matthews Sr. was on that team. I loved, used to watch that team play, and I just never understood how they couldn't get over the hump. And I've just – it reminded me that because when I watched today, you know, when they were talking about you know, the Cleveland highlights and, and I'm watching that Ernest Barner fumble on the two-yard line and then the drive with John Elway was scoring in the, in the fourth quarter. It just it was just so gut-wrenching for that team to, to watch those teams, you know, falter, and they were so talented. I just think that the NFL kind of missed out on watching those teams play because I just really feel like if either one of those two teams uh, that Cleveland had would have made it to the Super Bowl, I just think those Super Bowl results would have been a lot different except maybe against my Redskins. But, you know, other than that, I think it would have been it would have been an awesome feat. Yeah, it's 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 been a tough season, you know. Uh, I'm still on the fire uh, fire Fisher bandwagon after this weekend. I hope they fire oh, these guys. It's horrible. You know, you know, there was a there was a tidbit this week that I will basically just go with it because somebody pointed out, okay, every other quarterback that was drafted has played in this season. Besides golf, okay, you know what I mean. It's like right. coach, you got the number one pick in the NFL, and you're not playing this guy. I mean, come on, man, what is your problem? You know what I mean? It's, come on, get him in here now. I mean, Keenum across the pond, you lose by seven. The, the, this coach has no killer instinct. No killer instinct. This guy's got to go. I've already paid my money to put the banner in the Coliseum. This guy's got to go. I mean, the, the Ram organization, what do I need to send them? I mean, do I need to send a banner to, like, the front office and say, this guy's crud? You need to send him out. And, and Troy, I will tell you, as a, as a Ram fan, I'm, I'm vomiting right now because this is the worst coach in NFL history. He, he loses one more game, and he is going to surpass being the worst coach in NFL history to lose. Not to win, to lose. This is no Lombardi, by the way. There's no Vince Lombardi here. There's not a trophy for this. Uh, he don't, the only reason he's keeping his job, yes, I'm on a rant right now. The only reason he's keeping his damn job is because he keeps beating Seattle, and that's because Russell Wilson is keep screwing up his ankle. Is that the only reason? God forbid this person. No, I, I, I you know, I, I think he – he lives for mediocrity. No, no, he's got to go. Mediocrity. Tell me he's got to go. Come on. And he, yeah, no, I'm with you. I, like, I'm not a Rams fan, but Thank I, you. I, Thank the you. fascinating thing to me is that he keeps getting rehired. And he just, it's weird because it's like he, he just does enough to get hired and just doesn't, he's basically like that, uh, that student that is getting C minuses. <laughs> and somehow they keep passing him up an, another grade and then all this hype comes with him, and but he's just not producing. And, um, you know, I don't understand the golf thing. I think, okay, I maybe get it for like a week or two. If they were doing well, I understand protecting your young quarterback, but they have struggled enough that at some point you have to say, okay, but we have to see what we have so we can try to develop for the future and see what we need to do to get better. And at some point you have to let him cut his teeth. You know, if if you hold him out too what? long, then it then it messes with his head too. You know. You know what, Holly? The big guy, Gurley, came out with a statement and said basically, 
Everybody look at Bills in the eyes here and the coaches. That right there is a frustrating running back. You know what I mean? Because he's yeah. not getting anything. The the offensive coordinator is a mid-junior college high school coordinator. What are you doing? You know what I mean? You're telling me you could not find yeah. somebody in the NFL that could do you – know, like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm so – uh, I'm so frustrated that I have to keep my S's and F's in check right now because I can't. Yeah, I would go off right now in a bombshell. Thank you, Erica Lynn Anderson, because that's where I'm at right now. I am pissed. I was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you're four and one. You're leading the division, and all of a sudden you go up across the pond, and the guy throws four interceptions. And Troy, this is n- nobody does this even in Pee Wee. He throws interception to the opposite jersey, open in the end zone. What is wrong with this guy? I didn't see that. Opposite jersey in the end zone. Hey, you want to play catch? Here, here's the ball. What is, oh, my God. I was like, seriously? And you haven't put another quarterback in there? I mean, I would have have thrown that quarterback out right there. I would have said, hey, Goff, you're in. Finish the game and send us off to the, go back to L.A. Uh, The one thing I don't think this coach understands and the knuckleheads in the Ram front office, you are now in Los Angeles. And if you're a loser, guess what happens to you? You're a loser. Nobody goes to see your games. That's how it happens. Nobody goes. You're done. Yeah. And I think they're, they're going to get the message really quick if they go. Uh, uh, Troy, what was his statement? 8-8 uh, eight and eight is a salvageable season. Get the hell out of Los Angeles with that attitude. You know, get out. Get out. You know, the, yeah. I guess the thing that he won't survive. The thing I'm still confused about with the Rams is they've had Tavon Austin there for four years, five years now. Is it four years? They still can't figure out how to use this kid. You have a you have an, a, a, a world class athlete on that team, and they still can't get a chance to to feature this kid. I mean, right now he's averaging eight point three yards a catch. That's just that's just paltry for this kid. I mean. He can really be a game breaker. I'm just, you know, always just imagine uh, Tavon Austin in an offense with. It, w- just imagine him on in New England. Imagine him in Pittsburgh. Imagine him even in San Diego with Philip Rivers. I mean, this this kid would just he would he would tear the league apart, and they just can't figure out how to use him. And it just it just baffles it just baffles Troy. because he's an absolute game Troy. breaker. This is how bad this team is. Okay. You have Kenny Britt, okay? Kenny Britt is, a, is tough. Kenny Britt is big boy, okay? And you can't even incorporate a Kenny Britt. Now, the expectation is you can't even put them on Austin on because they're morons. That's the only, that's the only result here. They're moronic, okay? When, you, when your coach comes to the podium and says, that's a good team over there, when they got their beat down against the Niners, it's a good team over there. Yeah, that's a good team. Good thing we're only a handful of teams. That, the rest of the teams lost, so we're kind of joining that group this week. What an idiot. What an idiot. Imagine McCarron coming up totally after your loss and your beatdown, and you're like, you know what, it's a spring of tea on the other side, and uh, we're okay because, you know, we're with the rest of the WFA that lost this week. Stupid. Yeah, no, Stupid. that wouldn't go well. <laughs> no, I, 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 it's weird because if you look at uh, Fisher's career, it, it's – I don't know why he keeps getting chances, and I, I, it's like I swear he's like that C minus student, and 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 um, he has the ability to 
be a B or A level student, and he just he just doesn't put the effort in. It doesn't feel like he wants it, if that makes sense. And um, and you have Todd Gurley, like I don't, and um, and you know, like you guys are saying, I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now, and it looks like uh, Keenum has eight touchdowns and ten interceptions with a rating of seventy-seven point five, which is not very not very great. Um, but it's good because it's an that, eight and eight record, acceptable record. Idiot. It, and and you know <laughs> that's not going to work. It's not going to work in LA, like you said, because LA likes winners, and there's so many other options and things and entertainment to do in LA that the the excitement of having a team again will quickly wear off if you're not producing. You know, um, especially this time. You know, the NBA is opening tonight. And uh, even if the Lakers are horrible, they'll still have people because everybody loves the Lakers in L.A. But you got to produce, and um, this is not it. And I think, I think you know, for for you as a Rams fan, you should actually be happy that they're in L.A. Because I think if they were still in St. Louis, they would probably keep them another couple years. I mean, I I'm think, bleeding I think right now. Would. I'm ble- I am bleeding right now, and you just added uh, like lemon juice to my cut. <laughs> but I'm telling you, it might get better because they'll probably get rid I know, of I know what you're LA. telling me. I just don't see it. I have, I have, I have glasses, and I it seems like I can't even see clearly with the glasses. Now this guy's a moron. That's all it is. Just a moron, total guy. He could be a nice guy off the field, but a horrible coach. Okay, he was a good coordinator, good offensive coordinator. Okay. He's living off the Tennessee, you know, uh, joyride that went to the Super Bowl, okay? And, you know, I mean, come on. It's, it's like the, the front office has to understand, okay, do we want to be Cleveland in Los Angeles? Because that's not going to cut it. Being Cleveland in Los Angeles does not cut it. And, these, and we have talent. That's what I'm saying. If you look at the roster, who would not want to have Todd Gurley right now? Who would not want to have Tavon Austin? Who would not want to have that defense? I mean, come on. It's like, you know, it just blows my mind that the front office decides that he needs an extension. Yeah, give him an extension to Hawaii. Give him an extension to Europe or somewhere else. Just run him out of town. That's what I'm saying. Just run out of town. Anyway, I apologize to the listeners for my Rams rant, but I will end it with he's an idiot. That's it. Hashtag Firefisher idiot. Well, I think just watching watching Case Keenum and then looking around the NFL, I think we're actually starting to see, see a more systemic problem, bad quarterback play all around. I mean, if you look around the league, players, you know, you have quarterbacks who are typically, you know, playing very well. They're not having very good seasons right now. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick had a great season last year. He's down in the dumps. Then you have prolific passers like Russell Wilson, he's down this year. Cam Newton, he's down this year. Uh, uh, Carson Palmer, he's not having a very good year. Blake Bortles, he you know second in the NFL last year with 35 touchdown passes. He's off to a rough start. Joe Flacco, just watching these guys kind of struggle, it just you know, and then you're starting to see, you know, and, and initially people started to attribute it to the presidential race. But if you start to look closely at these games, you're really starting to see a lot of bad football. You're just seeing bad fundamental football, especially from the quarterback position, where these guys just are – they're just flat out not getting it done. 
I mean, if you look at the top hey, players, Troy. those guys are pretty much the same. You got a Matt Ryan, he's having a career year, Roethlisberger. Uh, he, people are down on Aaron Rodgers also. Of course, you got Brady. Um, but other than that, man, the guys are really struggling out there at the quarterback position. Troy, do you think it has yeah. to do with the off-season changes with the Players Association where they're not hitting as much anymore, they're not making contact in training camp anymore, their OTAs are shorter now? I mean, they're literally being babied. That's what one of, one of the NFL legends said. The, the, the players of today are now being babied. So do you think that has to attribute to the, the poor play in the first couple of weeks? And obviously the quarterback position deserves more snaps, more, more contact, more scrimmaging, because if you don't get that, then you don't get the timing, and the timing's everything. But, I mean, you can always have a moronic quarterback. That's, that's just anywhere. But the bottom line is that. I mean, are we – somebody uh, the other day tweeted me saying some of these games in the NFL, the Thursday night games and some of the Monday night games are starting to look like CFL games. And even CFL games are starting to look a lot better than NFL games. Yeah, and, and I definitely agree. I mean, at the point, I think, I think you know, with the practice, the way that things are right now, it, it would make more sense if you had a problematic defenses because the defenses aren't allowed to tackle them. I mean, they have these little, uh, you know, uh, these foam donuts that they roll, and they use that as tackling. I don't know what the heck that's for. I've, I've, I've never had to tackle a donut on the field ever. I would love to. And I had dreams where I tackled donuts because I love donuts so much. But, I mean, I've never had to – I don't see how you can do that. Like, from the from the practicing standpoint with the quarterback, you need continuity. You need to have continuity with your wide receivers. And I'm looking all around the league where the big exciting play is the deep ball, and no one's hitting the deep ball. No one. I mean, it's, you know, every now and then you'll see Roethlisberger throw a good one. Uh, Matt Ryan, you know, he'll throw one up to Julio Jones. But for the most part, when was the last time you saw a deep ball from Aaron Rodgers? Philip Rivers. Drew Brees. I mean, these guys are, you know, typically, you know, hitting these deep balls and it's just not happening right now. But I think the bigger question, the bigger problem is looking at college football and how the college football landscape is. And you're starting to see this whole um, read option and everyone's going to the spread. And not a lot of teams are having route reads. And I think just the fundamental aspect of playing the quarterback position is starting to be on the downside. And I want to see how these, these NFL coaches are going to have to try to adjust to that on the I think um, another point to, to throw in there is uh, the offensive line play has not been great. And like you said, in college, a lot of these offensive linemen are running spread type of offenses, and, all, and then they struggle when they come into the NFL just as much as, as the quarterbacks transitioning uh, because the blocking schemes are different. And, uh, and I think if you look at, the, for example, the Seahawks, the Seahawks are an interesting story because they spent a lot of money keeping their defense together which was the right move. Uh, but the problem was is that uh, they were betting on the fact that uh, Russell Wilson is so mobile and that they had Marshawn Lynch uh, before he retired, who was, you know, uh, one of the best running backs in the game at the time. And now that Lynch has retired and Russell is a little hobbled, that offensive line got really exposed um, early last year, and then they kind of merged together a little bit at the end, and now early this year as well they have struggled. There's a reason why they only put up six points, you know, against Arizona. 
if you if you watch, Russell's not getting a whole lot of time, and the blocking is just not as good. So some of that struggle that you see with the, with the quarterbacks, I think, also has to do with the offensive line. And another thing that um, I would bring up is with the numbers being down. I don't think it has anything to do with the election year. I don't think it has anything to do with uh, Kaepernick. It has to do with the with the play of the game and the oversaturation at this point. Like there's there's oh, a God, point yeah. where there's that point of diminishing return where you want a product all the time and it's your favorite thing in the world. But at some point, if you eat a thousand Twinkies every day, you're going to get sick of Twinkies. And the NFL is so in love with getting the product out and and getting exposure for it that it's oversaturation now. And now it's on every day, which is great if you're uh, if you are a uh, huge football fan like we are. But if you're the average football fan and you're following on a regular basis, it can be a little overwhelming. And on top of it, as a player, there's a lot of short weeks, and that that contributes to the downfall of the product on the field because these players are tired. You're not giving enough time to rest. And we also need to cut down the preseason, too. That's just too much. And and uh, like you guys said before, with the hitting, as a defensive player, you know, I have played long enough that I've, I've, uh, I've played early in my career for, for coaches that tried to baby us and not keep hitting until the last minute. And that actually is the opposite of what you're trying to do. It doesn't protect players. You're, you're actually hurting them because you're not – you're not uh, preparing them for what it's going to be like. And when you're playing football, you have to be able to give a hit and know and learn how to take one, too. The contact, it, it, there's, a, there's a skill in knowing how to maneuver your body and how to brace for, for contact and how to give contact. And if you don't do it for a while or you don't do it at all until the last minute, that's when people get injured because you, you, you play how you practice, and if you practice that – 30% and you go in the game and you practice at 30% for multiple months, you're going to get run over. And and I think that's the whole combination of what we're seeing on the field. And I think the NFL needs to stop thinking. It's like they can't see the forest from the trees. And they need to focus back on the product and not so much the TV deals and how much they can shove it down everybody's throat. Yeah, definitely agree. I mean, just the oversaturation point. I mean, you had the London game, yeah, so now you got to get up at 9 o'clock in the morning. And then you got to the Sunday game, and then the Thursday game. And then now what they've done is, you know, Thanksgiving is typically Dallas and, and Detroit, and you have those teams play, but now you add another game on top of that. It's just a little bit too much. It's just oversaturation, and then you, you're, you're allowing these players to underperform because they don't get enough time to prepare, prepare the right way, as you said. I mean, I, and I definitely agree. I remember back when I played football, we had two-a-days. Well, now kids in high school, they're not allowed to have two-a-days. When, when we practiced in college football, um, you know, we if, if the coach wanted to, we would practice all day long. Now it's like you have, I think, it's 20 hours of practice per week that you're allowed to have. So, I mean, it's just – and then, you know, it's the same thing going forward in, in the NFL where they limit the time. And if you think about it, the time that they spend being football players now in the NFL is a lot longer than it used to be. But back then, you know, guys were – they were hitting more. 
you know, you're, you know, when you got to training camp, you just, you know, you had a two-day acclimation period, and then guys started hitting their practice. Well, now you're not even allowed to hit at all, but you're having to go through all of these meetings, and you're expecting these guys to go out there and run 22 miles an hour into another guy, and then, and then wonder why they're getting hurt left and right. So, I mean, as you said, they're not, they're not used to the contact, and I just think that they're, they're setting these, these players up for failure, and it's going to start showing in the product. Now, the NFL has been dominating as far as all the top four sports the past few years. And I just think now they may start to start to lose their grip with all of the things with the concussions going on. And, and then you also have the NFL with the no fun policy, you can't even celebrate the end zone. And, you know, it's just, people are just going to just play out and start changing the channel. And I think that these guys are not really taking it seriously at this point. I really think it's a time for women's football to step up. It's an alternative brand. It'll be the alternative brand the real hit. You know, everybody's excited for the LFL because you got football and hits on video and stuff. So maybe it's time for the WFA to step up and put some cameras out there so we can see some real hits and maybe people start to line up and go, oh, what is that? A new brand, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, I think it's really uh, a travesty at this point because the NFLPA has gone a little lawyer-like and political in a, in a lot of sense to try to you know, salvage the player and, and go that extreme. And then the league hey, is resistant and, and, and does stuff to it. So, but I mean, it's just, it's, I think it's, it's just preventing the product to be so uh, high quality like we used to see. Hey, Oscar, you're getting a lot of feedback into your microphone. It kind of sounds like you're an alien. Am I an alien? Do I sound better? No, still the same. Yeah, do I sound better now? I think I'm, I think I'm eating the microphone right now because I'm still in the, in the Ram rant angered. Well, well I, I know you might be hungry, but I don't think that's probably very good for you. No, it's not. It's not good. Um, no, but what I'm, my point is, maybe, you know, this is the time. I mean, because the, the, the product, as you said, it's over, it's over-branded now. That's, that's, I think that's really what it is now. It's over-branded. Even Ray Lewis says, to your point, Troy, that we're asking the players to come up for Sunday, and all of a sudden they got to play on Thursday. You know what I mean? It's just like it's, it doesn't even happen that way. And so they're not, I mean, you know, one team is totally exhausted, well, you got two teams that are totally exhausted, and that's how we get, you know, poor play. Um, what did you guys think of, of the the game, uh, the six six overtime tie? Was it pretty exciting for you guys that that night? Yeah, that that, that awesome kickers duel. Yeah, I could have done I could have done without that one. I mean, so I've, honestly, this is the first time I can actually say this, and I said this on the Thursday game that we just had. Um, and also this past Sunday night game, the first and the Monday night game. It's the first time that I this week was the first time that I actually turned away from prime time games. It was just completely unwatchable. I just couldn't watch it, man. I mean, just when I was watching that kicker's goal and just watching the play out there, it was just like, you know, I kinda wanna watch the Walking Dead but I'm going to go ahead and record it. But then the way this game started going, I said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and turn into The Walking Dead. And then when I was, you know, I was flipped back during the commercial break, and I'm like, oh, it's uh, 3 to nothing still. Okay. All right, uh, so let me go ahead and continue watching The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead goes off 3-3. to I'm like, hey, 3 nothing still. 
I'm like, yeah, I thought I made a good decision just watching The Walking Dead at that point. It was just, it was just an unwatchable game. I mean, even the, even the guys like myself who loves a defensive battle, that really wasn't a defensive battle. It was more like who's going to make the most mistakes, you know? And it was the same thing. Like, you know, you anticipated the great game with the uh, with the Vikings and the Eagles. In the first five, I think it was the first six possessions, there were five turnovers. I mean, I was looking at that like you got to be kidding me. This is not a, this is not a very good game. Why? You know, it's just it, it, I don't know, man. Just the product right now in the NFL is just it's just lacking. It's lacking, and you can tell it's just it, it almost seems like they just they have a bunch of guys out there who really don't know how to play the how to play the game. And I hate to say that because I know these guys are professionals and they're great athletes. But the product and what I'm seeing is not my eyes aren't lying to me. It's just it's just not a good product. Troy, I was watching the game because I had a cover on Twitter. I think because and normally I update the score, you know, like every time something happens <laughs> and somebody tweets me, Hey, is the game still on? <laughs> teammates house right and because a lot of my teammates are, are Seahawks fans and um, and it's, it's kind of funny because not um, your average fan doesn't know the, the overtime rules very well and so when Arizona was driving you know and uh, close to field goal range my friends were like why don't they just keep kick the field goal and I'm like their kicker is kind of all over the all over the place and they're like, why don't they just kick the ball? Like, they're right there. And I'm like, I think they don't trust their kicker. And then, you know, so they kept driving and driving and driving. And then finally they kicked it. And when he missed it, I was like, that is probably why they waited to kick the ball. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then on top of it, it was so funny because everybody was like, what do you mean, like, there's not a second overtime? And I'm like, no, like, if they end up tied and they end up this overtime, they, it's done, it's a tie, unless it's a playoff, and, and then there's different rules. And then so when the Seattle kicker missed it, because they're all Seattle fans, and they're all excited, and then he missed it, I just started laughing, because I was like, this is so bad. And then I looked at the um, Arizona kicker, and it was hilarious because he was so upset before. Like he, they kept panning back to him. He's on his knee. He's like depressed. He's like, and then when Seattle missed it, it was like he was so happy because he was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm the only one. <laughs> 
And and so if you have short rest and you're not allowing the, the newer players to, to be exposed to the content early, then you're putting them in a position to fail because they don't know what it feels like to actually be in the game at that level. And the, the thing that people struggle with a lot of times in the NFL when you're coming in from college is the speed, right? Because everyone is so fast at, at that level of the NFL. But the other thing people don't talk about is the contact. And so if you take the contact out, and it, it, it's more of a flag football type of feel, you know? And um, I was uh, listening to a radio program about how, uh, you know, the University of Texas was struggling with recruiting because in Texas where it's, you know, the hotbeds for, for college recruiting, all the players growing up, they want to play the fast style of, like, flag football type style of putting up 100 points a game, and nobody really wants to play defense anymore because it's not as glamorous because from the, the time that they're little playing Pop Warner, that it's, it's the playmakers who are scoring that are glorified, right? And so I think we need, as uh, a whole sport, no matter what level, need to focus more on the fundamentals. And when I'm watching the game, like Troy said, I've played long enough that I'm looking at these players and I'm like, how do you not know this? Like, I know this. Like, how do you not know this? Like, how do you not know that you should be aligned here and you're, you're way over here? Like, how do you not know it's that rough. you should be reading the offensive line? Like, this, this is, like, simple stuff, right? And um, it's, 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 it's rough, evident rough. in play. I think you guys are ready for coaching. Yeah, I mean, Holly, I, I'm with you on that one, man, because I'm watching it. And I'm just like, you, first of all, it's situational football. And I'm yelling at the TV, and I know I drive my wife. I, my wife has already said to me, she, she asked me to shut the hell up at least four times during the rest of the game. Because I'm calling out the play. I'm watching it. And I'm like, if I know it, why don't you know so it's just like, I just don't think that they're, I think they're, I don't know what they're doing. I don't, I, I don't, it's just, they're not, I don't see these teams being prepared for football. I just don't see it. And, I, you know, I'm I'm not, I'm not a super expert at football, and I hate, I'm not trying to come across as such. But when I see things, and I'm like, if, if your alignment is here, and, you know, you should know, okay, I'll give, give you a situation. If it's 34 seconds left, and, and and the offense is on their own 20, so they have to drive 80 yards to get to a touchdown, why are you not playing the sideline? And they don't have any timeouts left. And then you have these teams that are, for some reason, they have all their coverage basically in the, in the middle of the field, and they're allowing these teams to get out of bounds. And I'm looking at them like, what are you doing? Protect, you know, you don't want them to protect the sideline. You don't want them to get out of bounds. Leave everything. Let them catch the ball in the middle of the field. That's fine. Dapple them and then the clock is running. And these teams just aren't doing it. And I just, I don't know. It, it, it's driving me nuts just watching that stuff. And these guys just, I, I don't know. They just don't have that situation with football savvy. I'm, I'm seeing it across the board. Yeah, that, that's a very valid point. The situ, situational awareness is down. And, you know, to bring it back to, to college football, watching my, my Oregon Ducks play, and it's been a struggle defensively because uh, we switched schemes. And in college football, it's difficult because the turnover – you know, is is really quick because you only have players for so long before they graduate. 
and we are switching from a 3-4 to, to a 4-3, and, and it's a different type of player. And the type of 3-4 that we used to run is, is different than your normal 3-4 because we wanted fast, athletic guys because of how frequently we substituted on defense because our offense was scoring so fast. And so we have that type of player, and we're trying to plug them into a physical 4-3 type of defense, and they're really struggling. And so I watched uh, some film because I was trying to figure out why are we giving so much big yardage up the middle? Because as a defense, that should be like your number one goal is to stop anything up the middle. And we were giving up huge chunks of yards, and, and I was watching the film, and none of the linebackers are actually reading the, the offense. They're guessing. They're so excited to, to beat the ball off the line of scrimmage that they are literally are running past the play, and then the lineman yeah. just kicks them out, and there's huge, huge holes. Like, I'm telling you, like, I have to go back and count. There has to be eight, nine times this year we've given up touchdowns up the middle where literally nobody is there. And there's a difference of the defense between giving up yardage because the offense earned it, because the line blocked well or the, the ball carrier, whoever has the ball, just worked for the yardage. And there's a difference between that and giving yardage because you're out of alignment. And I'm looking at not just Oregon, but in college and in NFL, like people are just out of place. And I don't know what it is other than people aren't preparing them as well. I, I, I just, it's like you're saying, like, it's not necessarily like we're saying, you know, that we can do better, you know, physically. It's more the mental side of why do you right. not know this? Somebody right. is not teaching this correctly. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it all the time, especially with teams that, that have problems stopping the run. And the first place you look at the defensive line, okay? So um, you'll have a, a guy that's playing a one technique over, over the top of the center. So he's coming off the ball, and now he knows he's getting double teamed. So instead of creating a pile, when I was taught when you're getting double teamed, is create a pile. But instead – you have this one guy trying to fight through the double team when he's on this is two on one against him. He's not going to win. He may be three hundred right. pounds, but now he has about six hundred pounds on him. So instead of right. instead of falling down, creating a pile, he's trying to fight through it. And now he's six yards down the field, and he's wondering why there's a big gaping hole for this running back to run through. And I'm just like, create a pile. Create. Why are you letting this guy move you off the ball? And I watch it play after play after play after play, and I just I, it just drives me insane. And I'm just like, no, nobody is teaching fundamentals. All of this off-season program stuff, and nobody taught you how to how to take on the double. It's, it, it, oh man, it, it incenses me, man. Yeah, it one thing if it were like a team, you know, or a specific team or, you know, even a specific league, but we're seeing it across the board this last year. This year's been really weird. I feel like whatever level you're looking at, it's kind of weird this year. Is there any regulation, you think, because of the safety, the the safety factors put in place, you know, the safety first type attitude? That's definitely a factor. I'm not so sure that what I guess just just my example alone. I'm talking about the defensive line against the offensive line. I don't think so. I just think you know when it comes to the safety rules, 
there are really no rules you can put in place that could, you know, uh, that protect either the offensive or defensive lines, except, you know, they're more prone to look for hands and illegal hands in their face. But other than that, it's just – I don't think it's really a safety rule. I think only time that, that you really see these defensive guys trying, trying to feel back is they're getting three shots on the quarterback. But just, you know, them just fighting through a double team and things like that, I don't think that really plays into a factor. But just watching these guys either fight through double teams and not understanding that you – as a defensive lineman, your job isn't to make penetration all the time. Sometimes your job is literally just to do enough to keep that guy off of your linebacker so your linebacker can scrape and make a tackle. But these guys just, I don't know, they want to be on a highlight film. I, I don't know what's going on. But that, and, I, and I know, Holly, you can assess for this also. It's nothing like having free, you know, you can just scrape and fill whenever you see, you know, the running back coming downhill. But you can't do that if you got this big guard that's trying to seal you off. He's trying to he's gonna hit and then go to the second level and come after you. It's kind of hard for you to do your job if, if, if the defensive line up front isn't taking on, isn't taking up a lot of space and then holding double teams. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I think from a safety standpoint, what you could say is that psychologically it's changed the game because the rules are written now that it's uh, obviously, you know, there needing to be safety adjustments, but the rules are so slanted towards favoring the offense that I almost wonder if it's a combination of that plus the glory that, uh, you know, teams have gotten uh, from scoring lots of points and, and the NFL seems to really like uh, the idea of, for, like, um, high-scoring games. So that's part of the reason, another factor of why we've gone away from discipline. It's really disciplined football. I mean, if you think about it, I think that's what we're saying is that they're not disciplined this year. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially on the play that we, some of the games that we, we've seen so far. Um, so, Troy, uh, Haley, we've uh, got about uh, 15 minutes. i got to do the women's recap. So, before we do the women's recap, what are some of the games in college that fans need to look for? So, uh, Troy, let's go with your top three that fans need to dive in this weekend, and then Holly can pick her top three, maybe some pack 12 as well. Well, one of the games that um, I think fans should be looking forward to is uh, Wisconsin-Nebraska. Um, that's going to be a, a great Big Ten matchup. Um, those two teams right now are are just fighting for supremacy at this point. Now, Wisconsin, they've taken two big losses this year uh, to the top two teams in the Big Ten, which is uh, Ohio State and Michigan. But um, you know they get a chance to reequip them. They get a chance to equip themselves. So um, Nebraska right now is ranked number seven, and they're ascending week to week. A lot of people don't really have a lot of faith in them because they haven't really played that tough of a schedule. But I think this will be a, a, a great test for both of them. Now if Nebraska wins that, they obviously put each other in that cap, and they look to go. Um, you know, at this point, moving on to the Big Ten championship game and the legend. And they'll probably play either uh, uh, Michigan or uh, or Ohio State. There is a possibility that if Penn State continues to win, that they'll actually be in that spot. So it's going to be a pretty intriguing um, uh, weekend for the Big Ten, to say the least. And, of course, you have Alabama and LSU. 
always a, a great matchup when you see those two teams play against each other. Big rivalry for them. Um, so if, if uh, Alabama, of course, lifts up against LSU, that opens up the door for teams like Auburn uh, to possibly sneak up. Gus Malzahn, he's, he's right now, I mean, he went from possibly being fired in August to being one of the top teams. So also look forward to that matchup uh, later on in the season as well. And then my favorite matchup, just the revenge factor of it, is Michigan-Michigan State. I just want to see how Harbaugh really gets his team going. Right now, a lot of people are, especially with the media, they're really afraid of Harbaugh. I mean, because he he seems to be just a little bit off, you know, like mental health issues. But I just think right now, the way he has that team playing and they're ranked number two, they can't afford to look forward to playing Ohio State at the end of the year. So just to watch them, you know, try to – uh, uh, keep their, their head on the swivel and stay focused at the task at hand. I just think that's been a big a big deal for them going forward also. And then you have um, the other game that I wanted to see would be Clemson and Florida State. Clemson and Florida State, that's that's also the huge matchup. Before Louisville came into prominence this year, those, that was the marquee matchup in the ACC. It was one of those matchups that they look forward to. Now, again, Florida State is now starting to get their things back together. That defense is very young. They're talented, but they're very young, and it's just the same mistakes that uh, Holly and I were just alluding to. They have made those mistakes across the board on that defense. Now, they simplify things at this point, but are they going to have enough to beat that Clemson team? I just don't think they're going to have enough to beat them, but either way, it's one of those games where – this is at the point where Florida State can actually get their stuff together, and it's one of those trap games because, again, Clemson has the propensity to let up against teams that they should. So it's going to be a good matchup to watch this, this weekend. And, Holly, what's your top three that uh, fans can dive into uh, maybe in the Pac-12 at this point? Um, oh, of course. So basically mine are, are – uh... Pretty much all the same uh, with, with Troy, except for I throw in there, of course, the Washington and Utah game. Like I said, I, I still think it's going to be Washington and Colorado in the Pac-12 uh, uh, title game. However, if Utah is going to put themselves in the conversation, this is how they do it. Because Washington has played really well so far. It is in Utah. Utah is always a hard place to play at. And so it'll be interesting to see how Browning handles um the crowd that can get uh, pretty rowdy down in Utah. Um, we'll see how he handles that. And if Washington's able to get through it, then it really just kind of staples them um, as being in control of their destiny for the, for the rest of the season. However, if Utah wins, it puts Utah kind of in consideration for a bigger role game. But what I think it might do for the Pac-12, it, I think it might push us out of the playoff scenarios if Washington loses. I think Washington's our best chance. And so it'll be interesting to see. This is a really big game because I think it will prove one way or another if Washington's for real and if there are playoff hosts or if Utah is going to play the spoiler, put themselves in better position and kind of take Washington out of it. All right. Um, so let's go into the women's recap before we get out of here. It's been a great evening. Scott McCann was here. Don uh, was here as well. And uh, so we had co-host uh, Holly Custis and Terrell Wilson back from the absence there. So it's been a great show, and I really appreciate everybody t- tuning in. So let's 
last week, the 22nd, which is Greater in Cleveland. Uh, the Stingrays get a forfeit win against the uh, Raptors. The Raptors did not have enough players to uh, come up with for the game, so the Stingrays get a forfeit. Stingrays basically uh, on the blind last week, and then this week, obviously, they they get the obviously win by a forfeit. So they've been rested, well rested. Then the Jets took on the Saints. It was a uh, complete blowout, 60-8. Uh, the Saints have struggled all season with scoring, and we talked about it here in the past, Troy, uh, where they can't even get at least a touchdown. And the Jets, just superior at this point, 60-8, behind our Nojo football supporter, Christy Moran and company. Um, and then you get the Spartans versus Thunder. The Spartans actually defeat the Thunder. Thunder has been a good squad. The last three weeks, the Thunder has been on the uh, loss column, 30-12 to 12 against the Rays in Week 8. They lost basically uh, in Week 10, 30-24. And then this week, they lose a heartbreaker, 14-0. to 0. So three, three games and a three-game uh, losing streak there. The Spartans rebound after getting thrashed the week before, 54-6. Uh, and they got they got beat by the Rays 42 to six the uh, previous week. So this is the week in Grand Cleveland that is the biggest matchup of the season. This is former champs taking on former current champs. So it is the Gold uh, Coast Stingrays taking on former uh, champs Logan City Jets. It is uh, Lauren Evans, our Northern football supporter, Kenesha uh, Sims as, as well, and versus uh, Special K Christine Moran. It's going to be a great game this weekend. The Bayside Ravens return after a bye week. They're taking on the Lonely Raptors. I do not know if the Raptors are going to be able to fill the team. Obviously, they did, could not do it this week against the Stingers, so that's going to be an issue there. The Spartans against the Saints. The Saints have uh, lacked firepower in scoring. Now, you would have to give this to the Spartans, who have put up some pretty good points in their, in their matchups. Um, so, even kill there. Then, the two weeks left in the season after next week, which is on the 20, uh, this coming week, the 29th. Then, it is uh, November 5th, is the last week of the season. And then, the playoffs start. Top four teams make the playoffs. The current standings right now, we're looking at the Jets, 8-0-1, uh, and one with the draw versus the Ravens. Second place is the Stingrays, 8-0. And then the Ravens, 5-2-1, followed by the Thunder, 4-5. So it's going to be very interesting in that aspect of the Cleveland matchups. The other games was uh, in Britain, New South Wales, and we have the updates on Twitter. We want to give a shout-out to the Daily Telegraph in um, Australia for covering our uh, uh, Britain, uh, New South Wales Raiders, and the girls out there, including our Nojo football supporters, Renee Hong and Kate Gardner, for being featured in the piece. So shout-out to the Raiders Great Iron, and you can follow them on Twitter at Raiders Great Iron. You can follow the um, the uh, league uh, newspaper coverage on there on our Facebook page as well. The other matchups that we got are going to be in FXX Mexico. Lexville, you can check out check it out on our uh, Facebook page as well as our Twitter feed. But uh, in uh, FXX Mexico, Division One, it was the, uh, the Kingos continue their dominance from last season to this season. We had a championship in uh, so Division One, 33 20 to take care of the Ravens. The uh, Tomos lose to the Titans, which have played really good this season, 55-18. The Dolphins rebound and they get the victory against the Lobos, 25 to 12. You get the uh, Division Two, Fourteen Division. The Demonas, uh, the, the Demon Ladies, take on the All Stars and they they win 26 to 19. The Sharks edge the Raiders and take care of Raiders, 33 to 12. The Dragons lose 14-4 to 
the Sumer Lions and the Jaguars fall to the Panteras 24 to uh, 14. Uh, division three, the Bellas division. The Aggies just crushed the Guerreras 40 to zero. The uh, Bulldogs take 40 to 14 versus the Huskies, and the Wildcats beat the Florida Doradas six. So you can get all the uh, action and results from FXF Mexico by following them on Facebook at FXX Football Extremo Femenil. And that's pretty much what's going on in the women's gridiron scene right now. You can always keep up to date on our Twitter feed at Gridiron Beauty. You can always go to our Facebook page at Gridiron Beauties as well. And don't forget to check out our Instagram where you can see amazing women playing American football globally. And their game is no joke football. Um, so, Kali, uh, Troy, been a great time today. I mean, uh, Scott was here. We got Hulu all for the whole show. So, it's always always exciting to have you on. It's uh, very, very awesome. And our fans have uh, gotten feedback. So, if you can become a regular in this day, uh, I know you got other stuff today, but always welcome you to be on uh, as a co host. Uh, thank you. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was a lot of fun. Awesome. Troy, um, at this point, um, college, hotbed, it's going to be a good game this weekend. And then we got uh, NFL that we didn't get to at this point. But we're we're going to dive into college all, all, all the, the two hours here. So next week we'll dive in the, back into the NFL. Uh, it's going to be great. It's great. And then the announcement this week was the WFA, more teams coming to the Women's Football Alliance for 2017. We'll, be, we'll keep you updated um, as well on the Facebook page. And uh, thanks a lot for uh, Michael Bermuda keeping up with that and giving us the feedback as well. So uh, for Oscar Lopez, Troy Wilson, and for our co-host, Holly Custis of the Seattle Majestics, and for Scott McCarron, who was here before, and Don Rusty as well. Uh, this has uh, been the Great Iron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. We'll catch you next Tuesday for more exciting football talk.